Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty show. We have got a really exciting show for you this week. And even better, it's just two days until the start of the season. I am super duper excited. And the next thing I'm also excited for is our guest this evening. We have a very special guest and a returner to the Five Yard Dynasty family. It's, of course, Rich at Dynasty Island. Rich, thank you so much for coming home, I suppose, your original home anyway. Um, We are all missing you here and it's great to have you back. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you very much for having me back. Um, yeah, it's always, as I was saying to you before we came on air, it's always nice to come back to the roots. So, uh, yeah, very, very much thankful for, for the invite and looking forward to, to chatting through with you. Yeah, super excited. And obviously it's only two days until the the uh, season starts. Um, and unfortunately, literally maybe half an hour ago, we got some really upsetting news that Travis Kelsey has sustained an injury and may not be available to play in week one for us. So already it's getting off to a good start for us dynasty managers. Yeah, it's 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 horrendous. Um, yeah, Fing- fingers crossed it's nothing more than a minor hyper hyperextension and he's back this week. I know, it's, it's quite upsetting really, isn't it? Already two players in basically the first round um, of, of most kind of startups this year or redraft leagues are potentially down in, in Cup and uh, obviously Kelsey. And then we've also got the terrible news of Jonathan Taylor. So it's, it's not looking a fantastic start, but things can only get better, right? Well, this is it. We get injuries every year, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. And it's how we work through them that matters. So this week, we're going to be finishing our Dynasty uh, division previews um, with our final two divisions, the AFC and the NFC West. So let's start with, um, well, 
what is or was at least last season one of the more exciting divisions in the AFC West everyone got extremely excited I think this year maybe people have cooled a little bit realizing that uh, really the teams can't quite catch up to the Chiefs just yet but uh, let's start with everyone's favorite team in the AFC West uh, the Denver Broncos I think that you either love them for fancy or you hate them um, so to basically what happens with our division previews is that we discuss a pertinent player from each of the teams in, in these divisions or someone that we think either is particularly valuable or we're looking to sell or we just want to discuss them. So um, with the Broncos, Rich, I let you make the first selection for the player that you would like to discuss. So uh, who have you got for us? So it's, it's Russell Wilson. Um, I think, look, he had an insane amount of hype as I think most of the AFC West teams did this time last year. Uh, and let's be honest, he had an absolute stinker of a season. So I am I'm properly fascinated with him heading into to this next year as to basically what what he's going to be and, and what Sean Payton can turn it back into. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? And um, I'm actually really interested to to see what you're doing with him in Dynasty at this point, Rich, because for me he just seems like a massive risk, really, because it, it's going to go one way or the other, um, and my kind of my heart says that Russell Wilson he's a really proud man you know he does not want to kind of have this bad image and people think that he's rubbish he's been desperate to become MVP for so many years that I think he has the kind of the determination to not be crap this year but my <laughs> head says that I feel like he's going to be crap and I can't shake it off so for me I think feel like he's a massive risk at this stage but what are your thoughts? I think he's he's absolutely a risk, but I think that's baked into the cost. I think that you're looking at him and, you know, this time last year he was a fringe QB1. At this point, we're talking back-end QB2 in terms of where he's being valued. And I think that Sean Payton is coming in and we're going to see quite quickly whether Russell Wilson is, you know, probably... In week one, almost whether Russell Wilson is 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 got back to you know twenty twenty and and beyond Russell Wilson. So I think that for me, if I'm a fringe contender, if I'm you know one of those mid table teams, he's a guy that I'm looking to acquire. But probably after week one, if it's not a great performance, if I don't think he looks great, then I'm very quickly selling. But I do think that you know we talk about it all the time. QB age is overrated and I think he's being placed on that scrap heap a little bit too early because I think, I believe Sean Payton's going to unlock him and I think he's going to bounce back. I think this is going to be a better offence than it's been over the last, you know, four or five years in Denver, basically since Payton Manning was there. Um, and I'm really hopeful that Russell Wilson can get back into that kind of fringe QB1 production. I don't think his dynasty value is ever going to rebound to that sort of point. So obviously... Um... Hopefully most people know that Rich um, has his own uh, kind of, you have your dynasty. What, what, what do you call it, Rich? Your... My survival kit. That's the one. You've got your survival kit and you have obviously all your trade values in there. So um, all of your Patreons will know, or oh, it's not Patreon anymore, is it? Because uh, you now have the, uh, the fantasy YouTube sanctuary. members. YouTube yeah. members all have access. It's a fantastic resource. So make sure that you remember. 
But I, I had a look at some recent trades on DLF and I'm just interested to, to see kind of your thoughts based on your survival kit and, and where you kind of feel uh, Russ fits in. This is my favourite and I really would like to be in this uh, league um, if I was the Russ owner because someone sold Russ for a 24 first. I feel like even if I felt he might bounce back, I think that's quite a good value for, for where we are at yeah. this point. Yeah, I mean... I think that's probably his his consensus value. I think any starting quarterback that's got some level of security in that contract does give him some security. I think he's worth a first round pick. For me, the way I value quarterbacks in Superflex, I'd rather Russ. I, don't, I think I'd need more than just a single first to be selling him. I'd probably need a second on top. Um, so yeah, I'd probably lean the Russ side if I'm being honest. Oh, that's quite interesting because there's there's actually quite a lot of these trades here that I think that. Um, People are selling him for really pennies. So someone sold Russ for a 24 third. They obviously really don't like him this year. Um, <laughs> someone sold him and Van Jeff Jefferson for Kirk Cousins. Now, for me, I really yeah. like that deal. I don't know what your thoughts are. Like, I, I like getting Kirk for that. I mean, Van, Jeff Van Jefferson and Russ, like Kirk, I just... I understand that his contract situation is less stable because obviously at the end of this season, he's probably going to be moving on from Minnesota, but I can't see him not being a starter somewhere. Yeah, um, he's definitely going to be a starter somewhere, isn't he? I think I think they're, to me, they're in a, a similar tier. I think they're valued similarly. I expect them to produce similar results. So if you're nervous about Russell Wilson after last year and you can pivot to Kirk Cousins for... Let's be honest, Van Jefferson's nothing more than a throw-in, is he? So I think it's a, a fairly sensible kind of pivot sideways, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I certainly would like being a more nervous kind of person on Russ. That would be the kind of deal that I would be looking to do. It would just make me feel a bit more comfortable. And then, as you say, uh, Rich, we wouldn't have a roster clogger of Van Jefferson on our bench any longer. Um, so one other interesting one, just one more. Someone sold Russ for Marvin Mims and Cedric Til Tillman. To me, that's like pennies. Now, that might be a 1QB yeah. league. You know, it's probably not a super flex, but still, that, that seems quite... Yeah, that feels very light. That's, low. you know, we're talking about Marvin Mims was a mid-second round pick, Cedric Tillman was a mid-third. So, yeah, as I was saying, I'd want a first and a second, and it feels like there you're only getting a two and a three. Yeah, yeah, I mean... It... It'd be interesting to see how he goes over the season. And I think, of course, his ADP and, and his kind of trade value is, is going to alter based on, on what he does. But from, from your opinion, Rich, if you're a kind of fringe contender or someone who's kind of in the middle and potentially looking to try and push, you would potentially be looking to buy. But obviously, if he underperforms, um, you're going to sell him ASAP. Absolutely. So let's move on to the Chiefs. Um, so this was my selection here. And I was interested to chat with you, Rich, about Isaiah Pacheco. So he's currently slated to be the RB1 in Kansas City. He has been recovering from hand and shoulder surgery this offseason. So he hasn't really been on the field too much in the offseason and the preseason programme. Currently, he's the running back 32 in DLF ADP. Players going around him, you're looking at players like David Montgomery, James Connor, Kendra Miller, Khalil Herbert. So what are your thoughts on Pacheco, Rich? Um, do you think he's a buy or sell? Do you have any interest in him? Or I think it's really dependent on what the rest of my running back room looks like. Because I think that Isaiah Pacheco is a low ceiling 
high floor RB2. Like, I don't think there's a world where he's going to completely flame out, disappoint and do nothing for me. I think he's always going to be fit, probably finish around that sort of 20 to 30 range, back end RB2. He'll be okay if he's in my flex and I'm not having to rely on him, but he's not going to win me a league because of the way he's used, because of that offence, how pass heavy it leans, because of the fact you're going to get Jeremy McKinnon, potentially Kylo Solaire, taking a lot of the receiving work. But I think that there is still a, a place and a, and a time, a time and a place, better phrase, um, for that kind of safety security net of a guy that's going to get 10 to 15 carries every single week and, and will give you some reliable production you know, when you need it, as long as you're balancing out the rest of your roster, sometimes that's that's really reliable. My concern with Pacheco is that, like, I think he's a, a fine, you know, he's okay, fine, you know, standard running back, nothing elite, nothing great, he's okay. And he's more, to me, like of a volume-based play. You know, he's, he's an RB2 because he's getting the touches, really nothing more than that. Um, and my concern is that Kansas City will, will ride him this season, you know, he'll be fine. But then going into the offseason next season, they'll start to potentially look for someone else, whether that be drafting someone in the draft or, you know, picking someone else up. I don't know. I'm just not convinced that he has a stranglehold on this job in the long term. Now, I might be totally wrong here, but I, th- I think he'll be fine this year. But I, I, I don't know. I just I just don't think he has that much talent. He's fine. And I think ultimately... I think yeah, I mean, any time a team doesn't invest anything in a running back, it, you know, the shelf life can be short. We've seen with James Robinson, you know, he had that phenomenal rookie season and then he's basically been thrown to the the curb by about four different franchises. When a team doesn't invest any resources, whether that be draft capital or contractual money, it's it's difficult to say, yeah, he's going to be a superstar for the next two, three years because he could be cut at any point and it doesn't really cost the Chiefs anything. So I, I I get that. I think that my argument is is that if they'd have wanted to go and bring an external resource in, I think they'd have done it this off-season. They had a little bit of wiggle room on the money side that they could have done that. They didn't. They chose to bring back Jeremy McKinnon and, and rather than Isaiah Pacheco. And I just think that because of what happened with Clyde Edwards-Solaire, they've almost been burnt by throwing elite resources at the running back position. Um, and therefore are happy with what they've got out of Pacheco and, and let's just continue to ride the hot hand, I think. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And like you say, I think he's just a middling, you know, running back, I suppose. If you need some sort of uh, low floor, uh, high floor play, then he's the guy for you. If you've got lots of rookies or kind of players that you're hoping will start to to kind of um, push on and, and do something later on in the season, then he might be a good, good add um for your team but i'm not i'm never excited to to pick him up i have to be honest um so let's move on to the rages rich um i have to be honest zero idea what this team is doing i fear that that josh mcdaniels is not going to have a job by the end of, of the season um having a look at how kind of things are going but you never know um so this is your selection again rich which player would you like to discuss from the raiders so i'm gonna go with michael mayer um, because I'll be honest, I have no clue like you what the Raiders are going to do. I think they could compete for a playoff spot. I think they could completely blow it up and tear the whole thing down. So 
who knows? We could talk about the high price guys in Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs, but everybody kind of knows what they're doing with them. You know, if you're a contender, great. If you're rebuilding, you don't want them. Michael Mayer to me is fascinating because when I sat down to write my rookie guide, sort of February, I watched a lot of tape of his and I was like, this guy is incredible. He is going to be an absolute superstar at the NFL. I thought he was the best pure tight end prospect I think I'd evaluated in years um, and was really excited about what he could be. Now, the combine happened and he, he didn't test great. He was an average athlete, which we know is super important for the tight end position. And therefore, his, his draft stock fell, I think, a little bit harshly. He, he ended up being the third tight end off the board. But, you know, the Raiders have basically traded away Darren Waller. They've, they've already handed the starting job to Michael Mayer. And it's like, if he's as good as I thought he was in February, he could be fantasy relevant this year at a position that, you know, we're always searching for that kind of back end of the tight end one position. And Michael Mayer could do that. And I think at the moment, because of the way people are talking up Luke Musgrave and Sam Laporta in camp, I think you can probably go and get Michael Mayer quite cheap right now. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's really interesting. And it's great to kind of go, go back and, and hear your thoughts from kind of that, you know, drafting process and when you were doing all of your scouting before then. Because I think, like you say, he's totally dropped dropped off the radar at this point nobody's talking about him he from what I can recall he didn't do too much in the preseason um I, I for me personally and I come from the rich cooling school of don't draft tight ends in your rookie draft um so I I am not a massive fan of having rookie tight ends so I would want to see it before I invested in him, especially now that obviously the, the rookie draft has gone. If I've managed to pick him up in the rookie draft, great. Obviously, I'll keep him and see what he does. But I'm not sure that I'd be that would be wanting to rush out to spend capital on him without seeing evidence on on the football field. Now, I might be missing out here because you can get him dirt cheap at this point. And as soon as people see that he's obviously something useful to have, he's going to cost you a lot more. Um, if you've got space and you've got deep benches or you've got space in your taxi squad, why not? But if for these kind of shorter bench leagues and things, I probably would want to see it before I invested. But I think it, I agree with you. It's worth keeping an eye on, right? Because nobody's I talking think... about him. Yeah, I think the interesting thing will be is to watch his fancy production, obviously, but more importantly, his snap count numbers. Because I think if he's getting on the field, you know, 40, 50 snaps a game, but isn't producing the fancy numbers, that for me is the time that you go and buy early in the season. Because the Raiders, he's got a full-time role and the fancy production will come, but it's that's what takes time. If he can get on the field as the tight end one in this offence from from the start of the season, then I'd be buying quite aggressively. If those snap count numbers aren't there, then, uh, then yeah, I'd probably be looking to move on. And uh, I think it's, it's young tight ends are a position that I don't ever want to draft. I'd much rather have the safety and security and, and knowledge of a, you know, a veteran. But I think that if they start to show it, you can buy in on the hype quickly and as we saw with guys like Chica Conqua and stuff like that, the hype goes out of control. And as soon as it does, you can quite quickly make quite a nice little profit. Yeah, well, absolutely. Like you say, you could buy him now for peanuts. And then, you know, if, if things are going well, if you're not interested in having him on your team, you can sell him for a profit. So it is 
he's worth it. So you, you may have swayed me there, Rich. <laughs> I might start uh, sniffing around slowly or at least seeing what his snap counts are like week one and seeing if maybe I can pick up one or two shares. I don't think I got, did I get any? Not many anyway. So maybe I need to rectify that. Um, so let's move on to the Chargers. Um, this kind of team that's that's pushing the Chiefs potentially um, in that division, although they never seem to quite manage to to hit the mark, really. Um, so the, the player I'm interested in talking about is actually Mike Williams. So currently on DLF, his ADP is wide receiver 38. And I think people are starting to kind of um, sour on him a little bit, really, ever since they drafted Quentin Johnson. I think people think that he's basically going to supersede Mike Williams at some point over the course of the season. And then basically Mike Williams is potentially going to be cut at the end of it. So, you know, I I find it difficult to decide what to do with him um, because I certainly think obviously he has the wide receiver two job at the moment in this team and he may well keep it for the whole of this season. Um, but do you think, Rich, that they're going to keep, if let's say Quentin Johnston kind of comes on and this is, you know, looking elite and really great, do you think at the end of this season they're going to keep Keenan Allen, Mike Williams and Quentin Johnston? Or do you think that ultimately there's going to be an odd one out there? Some One of these older veterans is going to be out of the door, potentially Mike Williams, and they're going to look at this kind of younger wide receiver core? Or do you think that we shouldn't be too worried about Mike Williams at this point and we can have him on our teams no matter what we are? Or is he just a contender type play at this point? I think for me... Mike Williams' valuation across all of fantasy, whether that be dynasty, redraft, best ball, whatever, is is completely wrong. I think that he is grossly undervalued. I think that he is the ideal boom-bust option that we're all searching for. Everybody wants a downfield X receiver that plays in a high-powered offence tied to an elite quarterback that has done it before. Okay? Well... Mike Williams is tied to Justin Herbert. They have got a new offensive coordinator that we're all excited about, that we're expecting that ADOT to rise of Justin Herbert, him to push the ball down the field. That's that's where Mike Williams feasts. We've seen that Mike Williams has done it before. 2021, through the first six games of the season, he was the wide receiver two overall, only behind Cooper Cup, who was setting all sorts of records at that point. He has shown flashes of absolute elite production. The challenges have been that he's not stayed healthy, which is why you're sort of getting a discount. But then the discount goes obscene because the Chargers bring in Quinton Johnson, who I think people look at and say, you know, I, I don't know numbers off the top of my head, but he's like six foot four, 215 pounds. And it's like, right, he's going to be an outside down downfield receiver. If anybody actually plugged on the tape and looked at what Quinton Johnson did, he is not a deep threat. He is going to be used on underneath rules in the screen game, on shallow crosses, to get the ball in his hands and go to feast after the catch. And that is where I think the disconnect is, is, is on Mike Williams' price and his his kind of production value, is that people are going, well, well Mike Williams is going to get replaced by Quinton Johnson. I don't think that's going to happen at all. I think that this offence is going to be, Mike Williams is going to have those deep shots, those goes, those those posts. Keenan Allen is going to work out of the slot and Quinton Johnson is going to be a gadget guy. So moving into next year, yeah, I think they're probably going to struggle to keep Keenan Allen and Mike Williams under contract. 
Now, I think that Keenan Allen is probably the guy that's going to be moved on because A, he's a little bit older. B, there was already rumours that he might have got cut this year. And I think that Quinton Johnson can more naturally take over the Keenan Allen role on those short to intermediate passes than the Mike Williams role. And I think that this disconnect of people looking at Quinton Johnson and going, he's going to replace Mike Williams is completely wrong. And I think that Mike Williams is the ideal flex play in any format because he is a guy that, yeah, he's he's going to have some dud weeks. There's going to be some weeks where he sees four targets and, and gets one catch for eight yards or something like that. But there is equally going to be weeks where he t- takes seven targets, six catches, 150 yards and a touchdown. Like he's got that league winning potential. And yet I'm having to pay wide receiver four prices for him. Like it's absolute madness. So yeah, I think he's, he's drastically undervalued and a player that I've, you know, he's, he, I think he's my most rostered player in best ball. I think he's my most rostered wide receiver in charity leagues. And uh, I've certainly got an awful lot of dynasty shares right now. Yeah. I mean, I think it, you great you give a fantastic point and obviously i gave you a chance to stand on your soapbox there um i know, I know you do like uh, mike williams i mean <laughs> it is a great point and i think in best ball he is you know absolutely fantastic isn't he because those dud weeks he will then be on your bench and obviously in those massive weeks he'll be on on your team i do sometimes find him frustrating occasionally like you say in redraft when he does have those dud weeks but like you say we've seen it before um my only the concern is injury, isn't it? And I think ultimately, if he has another injury riddle season, my suspicion is that that would give them a reason to cut him over Keenan, depending, obviously, Keenan Allen also needs to stay healthy. He has also had some injury uh, history to him. But ultimately, I think if he has another injury ridden season, they probably would say, look, we're going to have to move on at this point um, and, and, you know, find a, a replacement there. But yeah, I mean, Sounds like a screaming buy to me. So hopefully uh, people will go and do that before he gets injured um, and then ruins all of your your teams this season, Rich. <laughs> so let's move on to the NFC West. Um, we're going to start with the 49ers, obviously the, the current reigning division uh, champions. Um, and Rich, who would, you, who would you like to discuss here? I'd love to, like to talk about Brandon Ayuk. Um, I think that if Brandon Ayuk was on... Let's say I'm throwing a number out here. 28 other NFL offenses. I think he'd be talked about as a top five to eight NFL wide receiver. I think he is supremely talented. I think he is incredible in all facets of the game as a route runner, as a technician, as a guy with the ball in his hands after the catch. I think he's phenomenal. I think the problem is, is that there are so many good weapons in this offense. He's never truly seen the target volumes to allow him to shine. But I think that that's going to change. I think that this offense is going to move further away from Debo Samuel and George Kittle. And I think this offense is going to run through Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey. I think that Brock Purdy is a player that we showed at the back end of last year can create a little bit more outside of structure than someone like Jimmy G. He's willing to take a few more chances. He's willing to put the ball in harm's way a little bit outside the numbers, which is where Brandon Ayuk is going to feast a little bit more. And, and I'm really excited about his potential. And I think that, again, as I said with Mike Williams, he's being undervalued in where he's going at in kind of dynasty circles at the moment. Yeah, I totally agree. I think he is a supremely 
talented and I think um, the, the best time to have bought him was was that time in, in the 2021 season when he was in the doghouse, um, you know, and he didn't kind of get on the field for a number of games. I think at that point, everyone was drafting him over Debo, um, particularly in redraft kind of circles. And that really kind of shot a lot of people in the foot. And I think initially after that, people remembered. And then now, obviously, there's so many mouths to feed. It's It's really, really difficult to... I think sometimes for people to kind of see that path to elite fantasy performances. Now, ultimately, it only takes also in an injury or two to, to to see his volume increase. And we already know that George Kittle is likely out for the first couple of weeks. Again, he's quite a boom bust um, player, but still some targets that will go to him that will ultimately go elsewhere. So how, how do you see this off- offense morphing then, Rich? Um you know, is is Debo just kind of not going to be doing as much? Is he going to be in the backfield? Um, where where do you see or, or why do you see it starting to go through Ayuk versus, you know, Debo and, and the others? I think that, and Tom and I have been having discussions about Debo Samuel pretty much all off-season. So, uh, so, yeah, we've definitely got diverging opinions. But I think that, I think Debo Samuel is a manufactured touches receiver. I don't think he is the route technician that he can rely on a consistent volume of targets in a traditional offense. And now this is a Shanahan offense that we know is going to manufacture touches for those guys all over the field. But I just think that we're going to see in traditional dropback scenarios in those areas of the field where you're not looking to manufacture touches, you're looking to you know have a traditional dropback passing game. I think that's where Brandon Ayuk is going to do. And I think that this target share, you know, we're going to see a leaning towards Brandon Ayuk leading the team in targets. I think we're going to see Debo Samuel still get his, but it's not going to be to the elite levels that we saw in 2021, certainly. But also, um, you know, it's going to be more in line with what we saw last year. So would you be looking to buy Ayuk for any team, you know, rebuilder, middle of the road and a contender? And what would you be looking to pay for him? Yeah, I, th- I think that he's a player that is ascending and therefore in those scenarios and any ascending player I'm looking to buy on any team because whether you're rebuilding, contending, I think, you know, if you're rebuilding and he's an ascending player, you can pivot him off and, and sell him for hopefully a profit. If you're contending, I think, you know, you want good players, quite frankly. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd pay probably around a, a random 24 first for him. Um, I wouldn't like to add too much more to that. Um, but I think the typical move for Brad Nayuk is to perhaps to pivot off, you know, some of those other players. Could you pivot off Devontae Adams and get a plus? Could you pivot off Stefan Diggs and get a plus? Or could you pivot off, you know, some of those younger receivers that perhaps I'm not the biggest fan of that I think we could see drastic value declines of? Could you move off of Jerry Judy or... Um, you know, Quinton Johnson, Christian Watson, someone like that that's going ahead of him in ADP, but perhaps you can get, you know, a little sweetener to the deal. And what are you doing with Debo? Are you selling him at this point, Rich? Or... Well, the truth is I haven't got any Debo shares to sell. So, <laughs> so yeah, but I think, yeah, you, you probably need to be selling Debo. Um, I think that his value is only going one way, which is concerning. And I also think that his current price outweighs any production he's probably going to put up 
Yeah, I always find the 49ers just a, t- a tough, this wide receiver core anyway, a tough one to kind of figure out because, you know, ultimately I feel like they're both talented in their own different ways. You know, like you said, Rich, you know, they're not necessarily the same style, but they do both have their separate talents. And we know that Shanahan will scheme up for both of them. And ultimately, I find it difficult to know who's going to be the best on each week, you know, and is either of them going to ultimately kind of win out in this who is going to have more fantasy value at the end of the season kind of thing. Um so I always find them quite tough. I really, really like Brandon Ayuk, but I struggle to value him too highly just because of the offense. And I think ultimately, if he moved elsewhere, that you know that that value would shoot up. Yeah, and I think you're you're probably right because what's going to happen is, in in most scenarios, is that they'll probably all have good weeks, they'll probably all have bad weeks, and they'll probably all end up around that sort of middling, you know, wide receiver two range, and and it will be nobody will win nobody will lose and it will just continue arguments into next season i know it's so tough though isn't it because you you kind of want someone to 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 break through and be like this is the target you should have but i suppose it all it's all good fun to try and pick out who who we want to kind of back and who we think is gonna gonna do it but like you say ultimately i suspect they're both gonna be around the same at the end of the day i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast day let's move on to the Seahawks now I think this has been talked about so so much in the offseason but I'm still not entirely sure what I want to do with this running back room so obviously the two players that are kind of most uh, people are most interested for dynasty are Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet I think everyone was all in on Kenneth Walker at the end of last season um, in terms of he is now the only back in that backfield you know ultimately he's going to be probably the workhorse and then everyone got a curveball with Zach Charbonnet being drafted in the second round to kind of come and rain on everyone's parade but still Kenneth Walker his ADP on DLF is running back 10 which to me that seems quite high when he now has a a running mate in Zach Charbonnet now Charbonnet for me I think is actually much better value at running back 25 so Although I like Kenneth Walker, I'm actually not keen on him at that price, and I prefer Charbonnet, but I think early in the season, it's kind of a slow burn for this season, I think, the Charbonnet um, pick. But what are you doing with them? Do you agree with kind of my thoughts there, or do you have a you know, preference? Are you a Kenneth Walker guy? Because there are some people there that are still kind of holding a flame for Kenneth Walker, saying that he is still going to kind of keep this 
number one role in, in the backfield? I think that this is going to be committee backfield. I think that both of these guys should be valued basically the same. Um, I've got them back to back in my rankings and valuations. Um, and I think that who you prefer says a lot about you as a dynasty player. Do you prefer Kenneth Walker, who is, you know, the most boom bust runner we've seen in the last three or four years, you know, was second to last in success rate as a running back, but also was top two in terms of broken tackles per rush attempt. So he's basically either going to get, you know, one yard, one yard, one yard, 40 yards. Um, Or you've got Zach Charbonnet, who is the complete opposite of that, who is a guy that's got great vision that is useful in the receiving game but doesn't lack or sorry lacks that top end burst lacks that top end kind of playmaking ability and he's a more of a guy that's going to get you what is blocked i think that the seahawks there was a reason why they went out and got charbonnet and i think that that's because they were fed up of being so far behind the chains that they needed the um kenneth walker kind of play out of nowhere um to to get them back in, on chains and I think that Zach Charbonnet is going to be the receiving back. So for me, I'd at cost, I'd absolutely lean Charbonnet. If they were the exact same cost, I'd probably take Walker just because he's he's done it a little bit in the NFL. But yeah, to, to pay top 10 prices for Walker when you can get Charbonnet, you know, at, at RB25, that's, that's absolutely criminal. As I said, I think I've got them sort of 16 and 17 in terms of where I'm ranked. So yeah, I, I just think that, Nobody knows about this backfield. So to me, it's a true coin toss. So they should be valued similarly. Um, to have Walker going 15 spots ahead of Charbonnet feels slightly criminal. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I do like Walker as, like you say, as that kind of boom bust option, but not at running back 10 prices. So we haven't got much kind of time left in the off season. But if you are a Kenneth Walker owner, at Rich, are you trying to sell him? now while his ADP is still at running back 10 before we start to see Charbonnet mixing in or I know he has been named the starter for for week one are you going to kind of see what he does in week one maybe uh, you know they're going to kind of run the hot hand and he's probably maybe going to look like a workhorse because Charbonnet's getting used to the NFL and everything and then you're going to sell him at that point before kind of potentially we we see more Charbonnet and and his value declines how how are you going to play it I, I think that even if Kenneth Walker plays well at the start of the year, it's hard to see that dynasty value increasing that much. You know, he's, he's RB10 at the moment. Is he really going to break into that sort of top six or seven? I don't think he's ever going to get there. So even if he has good performances, I think we're pretty much at his peak value, which to me says, yeah, now is the time to be pivoting off, off him. Um, to me, I'd, I'd be looking to move you know, probably sideways in terms of valuation. Can you get Tony Pollard? Can you get Ramondre Stevenson? Can you get, you know, J.K. Dobbins plus? Those are the kind of guys that I'm looking to target because I think that they're similar in terms of their valuations. You might even be able to get a sweetener on top. And I think that they've all got better range of outcomes and a higher chance at producing league-winning kind of performances. Now, I know we're not talking about this uh, division, but I'm going to ask you quickly because you mentioned Tony Pollard. Do you have any concerns about Pollard 
going on from this season? Because obviously at the minute he's playing on the franchise tag. Do you think Dallas is going to keep him? Do you think he's going to end up somewhere else? How do you see this ultimately playing out? Because that's the one thing that I am that I'm a little bit unsure about on him. If he had the contract, you know, well happy, you know, with him being in that elite kind of tier, but without that contract it does make me a tiny bit nervous that you know if if they do kind of move off him is he ever going to see or catch that spark again of what we've been seeing you know from him I think for me I I don't look beyond probably a year or two for running backs because I think that the the cliff comes so quickly we know that Tony Pollard's going to be good this year and yeah he's a free agent at the end of the year but the Cowboys could tag him again and it's not that expensive a number. It'll probably be around 13, maybe 14 million because it'll be 120% of what they paid him this year. That's not an outrageous number when you th- you see, um, you know, Jonathan Taylor talking of one in 16 million a year. Or if he is a free agent and he goes and gets paid somewhere, I think any team that's going to be paying him free agent money that would warrant him leaving Dallas is going to use it. So, yeah, I'm not concerned in probably the next two years. If I'm looking beyond that, yeah, I'd, I'd be seriously concerned. But for, at the running back position, if you're looking beyond two years, I think you're uh, you're better off going and, and flicking some coins in a fountain somewhere and making a wish. Because I think looking anywhere beyond two years on any running back is uh, is lunacy. So when you're buying someone like a Pollard, obviously, you know, you're ultimately giving up capital, whatever that might be. Do you kind of just go and grit your teeth and say, look, ultimately, I'm probably buying him at his peak value and he's going to decline, you know, his value is going to decline, he's going to depreciate. And I just have to kind of suck up the value that I've paid for him to have him on, on my team. Is that how you kind of see it? Because I that's where I struggle with running backs. I struggle to buy them because I know that ultimately I'm not going to get what I paid back. Yeah, I, I think that this you can you can talk about running backs, or you can throw any kind of aging player in the mix. You know, we could talk about Cooper Cup or, or someone like that. I think that when you're trading for a player, you almost need to look at two different buckets. You need to look at production, and then you need to look at kind of future resale value. And saying, you know, for some players, I'm saying I'm going to pay a first for them. I'm probably not going to get a first level of production. But in a year's time, I'll still be able to sell them for a first and therefore it's worth acquiring them at that point. With Tony Pollard, I'm saying I'm definitely going to get a first level of production because, you know, the the chances of a running back drafted in the rookie first round producing a top 12 season is about 40%. Is there a 40% chance that Tony Pollard produces a top 12 season this year? To me, that's absolutely a yes. So therefore, I'm paying a first for that chance of that production. Yeah, it doesn't matter if I don't get any resale value. If I get one top 12 season, even two, then I've definitely got my kind of return on investment for that draft pick. And I think that that's how you've got to look at it as two separate pots of future resale value production. Yeah, I mean, that does make sense. And I think ultimately, when you go in and and do something like that, if you're looking to buy a top 12 running back, to me, that means you are a contender. So therefore, the value is being that you have hopefully won your championship, you know, and he has performed to what you were expecting from him. Um, And then, you know, ultimately, if if you're even a... If you're a low, not even a real builder, but, but you know, like kind of this kind of midway 
not really going to contend this year for me. I just don't think it's worth the value because even though he might perform as a top twelve running back, if the rest of your team's not going to kind of come along with him, then yeah, that production bucket only matters if you want the production. You know, if you're rebuilding, you need to look at those two buckets and say, well, it doesn't matter what he's producing this year because that's irrelevant to me because I'm not trying to win the title this year. Therefore, the only thing that matters is his future resale value. And if you think that future resale value is going to decline over the next 12 months rather than increase, then absolutely no world should you be paying a, a first for Tony Pollard. Yeah, yeah, it, it does make total sense. Let's move on to everyone's favourite team to kind of beat up on this season, uh, and that's the Arizona Cardinals, um, widely touted to be the worst team in the league um, this season and probably going to end up with that number one overall pick in the draft I think if all goes to their plans anyway um so Rich um which which member of the Cardinals would would you like to discuss so for me I I know that you're saying that nobody wants to you know everyone just wants to slag off the the Cardinals I find these sort of teams fascinating because I almost see them as like a a little project that I can dive into and try and try and recoup some value somewhere so Yes, the Cardinals are probably going to be horrendous. Yes, the Cardinals are probably going to be one of the worst offences in the league this year. But somebody on this team is going to produce some some level of fancy production. Somebody on this team is going to be viewed as an asset that this offence can build around. James Conner, you know, I, I quite like him as a, you know, as we were talking earlier, solid, reliable, Isaiah Pacheco style RB2. Fine. He's not going to be on the Cardinals next year. There's no way they're paying him. I think he's eight and a half million to be a running back next year for the Cardinals. That's not happening. I can I can tell you now. Marquise Brown, he is in the final year of his contract. I think that there is a world where he gets traded before the end of the season. Or if not, I don't see his value drastically changing because he's kind of already being valued as that wide receiver two, wide receiver three. The guy I'm fascinated by is Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore is one of the most unique receivers in terms of where he's lined up, where he's used, his A dot. We know that he's been basically, Cliff Kingsbury basically said, you're not a receiver, we're just going to try and use you out wide, but use you as a running back almost and get the ball in your hands. But it looks like he's now going to play a traditional slot role. And I think that before Colin Murray comes back, if we're talking about you know Clayton Toon or Josh Dobbs or, or whatever it is under centre quarterback, they're not going to probably have the skills, have you know the balls, whatever you want to call it, to be pushing the ball downfield consistently. I think there is going to be a huge amount of underneath targets in this offense for somebody to scoop up. And I think that Rondell Moore is the kind of guy that you can probably go out and buy super cheap right now, who could flash early in the season. And then once Kyler starts to come, you know, the rumors of, oh, Kyler might come back in week eight or week 10 or whenever it is. People are going, oh, Rondell Moore's producing really well with Josh Dobbs at quarterback. Imagine what's going to happen when Kyler Murray comes in. And that's when you sell him. Because I think at that point, that's when his the hype's going to start. People are going to start believing he can probably get a return on the investment within, let's call it a month, two months, three months, whatever. And I just think that at the moment, nobody wants Rondell Moore and you can probably go and get him absolutely bargain cheap well i can tell you rich that some people have just acquired him for a 24 fourth and a 25 25 fourth wow. so that was one trade <laughs> one acquired i didn't realize for, it was that cheap yeah someone acquired him for juan johnson 
I don't know if that's yeah. the time Premier League or not, but um, and then there was another trade where um, they acquired him and Devon A. Chain for Darren Waller. Okay, yeah, I mean he's basically a throw in there, isn't he? So yeah, yeah. I, I think I honestly think you can go and get Rondell Moore for I was gonna say a third, but if you're getting him for two fourths, then maybe that's the price. And I think that in two months you can potentially sell him for a second. And so, if he so, doesn't produce, what's what's the worst that's what, happened? You've just thrown a third away. Yeah, I mean, so to you, basically, he's more of a kind of short-term loan, I guess, on your team. You buy him, he recoups some value, and then you sell him on. You have no real interest in keeping him in the longer term. Um, he's not someone that you think is a riser that, you know, you want to kind of have on there as a, this guy could could build up and, and actually become valuable to my team on a on a on a rebuild it's more of a, a recoup some assets and and move along yeah i don't think he's ever going to be able to sustain enough fantasy production enough target share for him to be a reliable week in week out fantasy option i don't think he's ever going to be a top 36 wide receiver so those those guys you know in that sort of wide receiver 45 to 60 range Guys, I quite frankly just don't want to roster because I think that they become roster cloggers. And I think that Rondon Moore is likely to be that. But I think at the moment he's valued in a position where he, he's not a roster clogger because he's so cheap that I think that if he doesn't produce, you know, if we're sitting here at week six and he's not had a, you know, a 10 plus point fancy week, you can probably just cut him. And, you know, he, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to take some risks. You've got to speculate to recoup dynasty value. And I think that he's a very low risk, high reward type prospect. Yeah. And I mean, he, he has done it, you know, last season uh, in one week, week eight versus Minnesota, he did flash and finish as a PPR wide receiver six. Um, and people have been. You know, ever since he was drafted, there's been Rondell Moore truthers out there who feel that, you know, eventually he is going to give us something. So, yeah, I, I can see that working. And like you say, look, if it costs you a, a third or a fourth and he doesn't do anything, eh, what have you lost? Probably not a lot, really. Um, let's move on to our, our final team here in this division. So that's the LA Rams. I'm struggling to find any massive enthusiasm for them at the moment just because of where they are. Obviously, we know that Cooper Cup is is a stud, unfortunately injured at the moment, but you know we, we know what he can do. But ultimately, looking at this wide receiver core, do you have any interest in anybody else um, or are they roster cloggers for you? Yeah, I think they're all a bunch of roster cloggers. I know that there's some people... Matt, Matt Thornton maybe one that's hoping on holding on some hope that Pukaniku is going to become something I, I just don't think he's ever going to be I think Van Jefferson will probably have some some weeks where he's competent but they'll probably come on your bench because you don't feel comfortable starting him enough dare I say it I'm, I'm intrigued by Tutu Atwell but probably only in best ball because I think he's going to be the same as Van Jefferson where he's probably going to have some some spike weeks but it's probably not going to be when he's in your lineup Um I like Tyler Higby at cost. I think he's that, you know, as I was saying earlier, I like veteran tight ends. He's a guy that I think will give you back end tight end one production for probably a third of that cost. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I don't really want any parts of this offense. I do feel like Tyler Higby is like the forgotten man, really. You know, he has produced, you know, pretty well over the past few years and still nobody values him. They have no interest. Um, so he's. I always find him quite good to, to pick up. Uh, Cam Akers, what are you doing with him? Just getting rid? 
probably not getting rid. I think he's probably a hold right now because I don't think he's got any great value. Um, and there's a chance that, you know, he could get some decent production as the lead back in that offense. But I'm certainly not going and buying a guy that, you know, what was it, week five, week six last year, he got told to go away from the team because they were going to trade him or cut him. Um, you know, it's amazing how quickly fantasy managers forget that. Um, so, yeah, I, I I can't go and buy him. I can't go and acquire him. But I think that, yeah, if you've, if you've got him, if you can get him on the cheap, maybe, maybe that's a, a decent plug and play RB2 flex type. Yeah, he really upset me last season because I drafted in the BFFL in the first round and then he did nothing. Then I, in my idiocy, dropped him just before he actually came back on the team. And I basically would have won and got promoted had I kept him on my team. But hey, we won't dwell on those facts. (laughs) So I just can't, I can't draft him at the moment. He's upset me too much. And this is where I always say, you've got to forget, you know, you can't hold grudges from one season to another. Things change, but sorry, Cam Akers, you and me are not friends anymore. Um, so we've we've finished our uh, Dynasty Division previews. I hope they have been interesting and useful. But obviously the season is just two days away. So Rich, kind of before we get on to our final segment, what last minute advice do you have for Dynasty players going into the season? Um, I, th- I think for me, it's just have a process. You know, whether it's how you're going to assess your rosters, whether it's how you're going to try and make trades, whether it's how you're going to set your starting lineups, whether it's going to be how you're going to sit down on a Monday and and review, you know, who scored what fancy points and therefore who had good weeks, who had bad weeks. Like, just have a thought process now. If you want to do, sit down and make some notes, but have a process of how you're going to approach everything. Because I think in the season... It goes so fast and it is so chaotic that if you haven't thought about how you're going to approach things, you're probably just going to be shooting from the hip. And I think that when you're shooting from the hip, that's when you, you know, you you tend to make decisions that perhaps you live to regret. So if I'm a team that's sat in the middle and I'm like, at this point, I do not know, you know, going into week one, I don't know where I'm going to go. I could either sweep into the playoffs and potentially, you know, look to contend or I could end up going the other way and and end up becoming a real rebuilder if I end up going down and and becoming a rebuilder at what point should I be starting to try and sell assets should I be the first um, to get the best value or should I be kind of waiting out for injuries like is there a best way to do it or do you think it kind of depends on the league and and on you and I, I had this stupid phrase that I used to use all the time. I've tried to get away from it because it doesn't make any sense. But you want to be the first to decide your rebuilding, but you want to wait as long as possible. So you don't want to rush into it because what you don't want to do is go, I'm rebuilding. And then actually suddenly your players start producing and, and you're like, oh, I should have just held out for another week. Maybe I could have you know made the playoffs and been a contender or whatever. But there is absolutely value in being the first person to start selling off assets because the longer you go in the season, you know, after week one, after week two, there's probably 10 teams in your league of 12 that think they can win the title. As that starts to get to week six, week seven, week eight, week nine, that number of 10 starts to shrink and it starts to be, you know, maybe there's only six teams. Maybe it's only the playoff teams that think they can win. Maybe it's only two teams because there's two absolute juggernauts. And as soon as there's the smaller 
pool of teams that are think they can compete that's fewer people that you can you know essentially auction off your players to and as soon as there's fewer bidders we know that that price isn't going to be as impressive so yeah you want you want to hit that button as early as possible but you want to hold off as long as possible to make sure you're doing it right oh that's 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 super uh useful rich i know it's, it's so difficult isn't it like you know walking that fine line and i suppose it's keeping an eye on everybody else's rosters like is there someone else who is also looks really terrible and potentially tanking that you think right they're going to start selling off assets very soon so i need to start thinking about doing it or are you basically the worst roster in the league by a long way and you think okay i can wait a little bit longer whilst things play out a little bit more um, and then i can start to, to sell off assets i i think i do think sometimes kind of knowing what to do and when to do it is one of the harder things to do in dynasty and i think that's you know that's the added element of it isn't it versus redraft you know ultimately setting lineups you know week to week is, is very very similar to redraft but actually it's that extra kind of layer of roster management that um kind of complicates things and i think sometimes people are too slow or too quick to do things and then you don't always get the ultimate value for your roster whatever that might be um i i think it's it's one of those where i think whatever you do just don't look too desperate you know yeah. If you really want a player, don't show that you're desperate for that player because obviously they're going to try and squeeze as, as much as they can from you if they know that, that that's that's what you want. You know, I it's important, I think, to be subtle with, with what you want to do. I hate the wave of what, you know, um, no, the trade block because it's advertising, you know, what you want to do. And also I think it makes people lazy. They go, oh, here's all my people for sale come and get them and they want no. everyone else to make them offers they don't want Absolutely. to have to do the work but i think you're going to get the very best value by going out and doing the work but also being subtle about it i, I completely agree i think that you know at the end of the day trading is just a negotiation and it's all about maintaining leverage and as soon as you put a player on the trade block you've lost leverage as soon as you become that lazy owner who can't be bothered to put together an owner uh, put, put together a package to try and move pieces under the radar, you lose leverage. And I think that, you know, we're here to try and win titles and we're here to, to do that. You need to try and build a roster with as much dynasty value as possible. Well, if you just want to be lazy and just stick players up on the trade block and, and let offers come to you, you're losing dynasty value and therefore your your overall roster is not going to be as good as possible. So I think that's an absolutely valid point and I think you summed it up perfectly. Yeah, so obviously two days to go. Good luck, everyone, in their week one matchups. Just before we finish, we finish every kind of guest show with a with a guest question. Our previous guest, you know him particularly well. It's Tom, your co-host at the Fantasy Sanctuary, and he posed you the following question: What's the one NFL matchup that you'd love to see in person? And I already know the answer is going to be something to do with the Jets. But go on, Rich. Uh, let us know what's the one matchup you'd love to see. Well, if I could pick the Jets in the Super Bowl, then uh, then that would be it. But uh, I think in any matchup, look, the, the Jets don't really have any true kind of kind of rivals, should we say? Like, yeah, we don't like the Pats. Yeah, we don't like the Dolphins. But it's not like a true hated rivalry. Um, whereas I think that the, the battle for New York is always fun. So, yeah, if I could go to MetLife and see a Jets-Giants game, I think I'd quite enjoy that. 
Yeah, I, I reckon I'm not obviously a Jets or Giants fan, but I think it, those kind of games would be a, a lot of fun. I reckon that stadium would be would be rocking out there. So I, I can see why you'd, you'd want to go and do that. Um, and Rich, uh, for our next guest, um, would you mind posing a question for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so, so my question is, if, if you could create a 33rd NFL franchise, where would it be? And who would you pick as your head coach? Uh, and the, the caveat as it has to not be a current NFL head coach. And is this something you've thought about already? Do you do you have an idea what you would do if you were the... Oh, God, I feel like I'm put on the spot. Um, no, it's not something I've thought about at all. Uh, I thought it would be an interesting question for your next guest. But yeah, it's definitely not something I've thought about. So um, yeah, I, I don't have a good answer, I'm afraid. Oh, rubbish. No, I'm only kidding. Rich, thank you so much for giving up your time and coming back to the Five Yard Dynasty show. Um, everyone here has has really missed you and it's it's been fantastic to have you back on uh, as a guest and, and have your fantastic advice. Please, before you go, Rich, please tell everyone where they can find you and about the fantastic uh, Fantasy Sanctuary. Yeah, no, th- thank you so much for, for having me on. It's always lovely to come on and chat with you and, uh, yeah, always thoroughly enjoy it, Hannah. Um, you can find me on, I'm on Twitter or X, whatever you call it these days at Dynasty Island. Um, and then yeah, the, the majority of my work you can, you can find over at the fantasy sanctuary on YouTube. Uh, I think we're at the FF sanctuary on, on YouTube and Twitter. Um, you can sign up to be a member, get access to discord rankings, dynasty values and stuff from, from as little as 99p a month. Yeah, and I, I can vouch it's a fantastic service. I am a, a member and uh, the Patreon, it's not Patreon, is it? it's the Discord is always full full of chat. It ne- never stops. So there's there's so much to dig into there. It's a fantastic community and obviously fantastic uh, content coming from both Tom and Rich and they'll have plenty for you in season as well. So I would highly recommend it. So thanks again, Rich. It's been awesome having you and thank you for everyone for joining us. Um, enjoy week one and until then, Keep rushing. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.